Well, thank you uh, both for reading, and please keep your Bibles open. It'll be helpful as we move through quite a big chapter. Uh, But as I said before, my name's Simon, and it's really great uh, to be here, to be uh, together with you and opening up God's Word. And I'd love to get to know you after the service, so please do come and chat with me. Uh, I really love to hear stories about people. I love to hear what they're doing, what makes them tick. But I particularly love to hear stories about how they came to know Jesus. I think it's really exciting and encouraging to hear how God has been at work in the lives of people. It was exciting to hear from Thomas and Melanie and the way that God has been at work in them uh, and in France. And so obviously I've loved being in the book of Acts. It's full of these stories, encouraging stories of how God has been at work in the world, how the gospel spread and people came to know Jesus over and over again it's a great book of encouragement. And it's an encouragement to us for lots of reasons. And so today, as we look at this section of Acts, it's my prayer that we will be encouraged. We'll be encouraged to continue in the gospel, to continue to worship God alone, and to continue to spur one another on in these things. That's the three things I've been praying for us as we look at Acts 14 today. To continue in the gospel to continue to worship God alone, and to continue to spur one another on in these things. So here in our our next section of Acts, we're going to see these three final stops on this leg of Paul and Barnabas' journey, this first missionary journey from Antioch and back to Antioch. And in each, we'll continue to see the response and reaction to to the proclamation of the gospel by Paul. So let's... Uh, get the map up again because it's important to see where are we uh, in this story. So this is Paul's first missionary journey as he seeks to carry out the mission that was given in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus tasks his apostles to take the gospel, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So last week, uh, Phil took us through the first part of the missionary journey, where Paul was sent from Antioch here, their home base, and they came down to Cyprus, and then up to Perga, and then up to the other Antioch, before at the end of the chapter, they end here at Iconium, which is where we'll pick up the story, and we follow them all the way back around to Antioch. But we're at point one in Iconium. So please read with me from verse 1. The same thing happened in Iconium. They entered the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against the brothers. See, just as we saw last week in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas Well, they get to a new town and they take the opportunity to go into the synagogue, to get amongst the people and to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and that he is Lord of all. And just as we've seen before, amazingly, people in great numbers believe. A great number of both Jews and Greeks come to understand who Jesus is. But of course... It's not without opposition, is it? You can sort of picture it, can't you? Paul and Barnabas there amongst the crowd, teaching and preaching. But at the same time, you've got a few people around the edges, 
wandering around, spreading lies, making people question what the truth of what is being said. And so whilst there are many who are coming to understand the gospel, there are plenty who doubt, who don't trust the message that's being spoken. So what do Paul and Barnabas do with that? In the face of unbelief and opposition, what do Paul and Barnabas do? Verse 3. So they stayed there for some time and spoke boldly in reliance on the Lord, who testified to the message of his grace by granting that signs and wonders be performed through them. In the face of unbelief and opposition, Paul and Barnabas remain. They stay. They keep on speaking and speaking boldly. They're not running away. They're not scared. They want people to understand the news of Jesus. And I think it would be really easy for us at this moment to see Paul and Barnabas as great, as impressive figures. They're great speakers. And and look, they might have been. But it would be terrible to miss the truth of who is at work in Iconium at this time. Because it's not in their own strength that they speak. Verse 3 tells us it is only in reliance on the Lord. It's not because they themselves are impressive, but it's because God gives them the strength to face persecution and continue to preach. And as they preach, they perform signs and wonders. And we don't actually really know what they are here in this point, but we know from elsewhere in Acts, The apostles perform healings, and they cast out demons, and they give sight to the blind. And we often would call these things miracles, wouldn't we? Because they are miraculous. But Luke's really careful in his writing. He chooses to call these things signs and wonders. And I think he's really careful here because, well, what do signs do? Signs always point to something. They point to something more than themselves, don't they? Think of street signs. Uh, They're pretty important. Uh, We needed them this morning as we were trying to find how to get here. Uh, But now I'm here, I don't need the street sign anymore. I'm already here. It's done its job. See, these things, the wonders and signs that the apostles performed, and we'll see this more later in the chapter, they are miraculous, but they were signs. Not signs to point to them to say, look how impressive this guy is. But look at verse 3. It was part of the testimony of God's grace that they performed signs. These healings, these exorcisms, they were never an end in themselves. They were never to point to the apostles, but they were always to point to God and say, look at him. Look at the grace that he shows to his people. They were signs that pointed to the gospel of God's grace. But even with their bold preaching, even with the signs and wonders, we see that the people remain divided. And even in in verse 5, the people of Iconium and the rulers, well, they try to assault and stone them and cause them to flee, to run away to other towns. But in all of this aggression and persecution, verse 7, and there they kept evangelizing. See, Paul and Barnabas, they know their job. They know their part in God's mission to reach the world with the gospel. Even in the face of unbelief, even in the face of assault, 
they know their job is to continue in the gospel. They don't err in their own belief because they trust in God's grace. They don't shy away from telling others about his grace because they know they have the words of life that people need to hear. So they continue in the gospel. I think this is a great encouragement for us as we face unbelief in people around us today. Friends, family, colleagues, and even in the ways in which we suffer for our faith and our witness. It's a reminder and encouragement to stick at it, to keep trusting in God's goodness and his grace, and to continue in the gospel, just like Paul and Barnabas. But now, we've left Iconium, and so we're at point two in Lystra. So read with me from verse eight. In Lystra, a man without strength in his feet, lame from birth, and who had never walked, sat and heard Paul speaking. After observing him closely and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he jumped up and he started to walk around. Well, here we have another healing performed. But unlike the ones at Iconium, we actually get a bit of detail here. A man who has never walked, given the ability to walk. And he he doesn't just hobble around... He jumps to his feet and he's able to walk. As an ex-physio, this is very impressive. I saw lots of people with injuries to their legs and none of my patients were ever as injured as this man and absolutely none of them recovered as quickly as this man. But with this man, just like the the wonders at Iconium, he wasn't healed just for the sake of it. Because I hope you notice in verse 9 that this man who had never walked, well, he'd heard Paul speak. And not only did he just listen to Paul, but he had faith. He had faith to be saved, faith to be healed. And so again, we see this as a sign. Not pointing to the man, not pointing to his faith, not pointing to Paul or his, his teaching, but a sign that points directly to God and his grace. God's grace which saves. And I hope that we can see that. Because actually, what instead happened at Lystra? From verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the form of men. And they started to call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the main speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought oxen and garlands to the gates. He, with the crowds, intended to offer sacrifice. This man has been healed because of God's grace. This healing, well, it should have been a sign to point to God. It should have led everyone to praise and worship God. But instead, the crowds praise and worship and sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. They have completely missed the sign. They've chosen instead to attribute the miracle to the false Greek gods of Zeus and Hermes. And so as Paul and Barnabas see the priest of Zeus coming down to worship them, well, they tear their clothes. They are distressed. They are mourning. They are devastated at this response. 
but it gives Paul the opportunity to continue to preach. And in this mini-sermon that Paul gives, he responds to their false worship. So let's read it from verse 15. Men, why are you doing these things? We are men also with the same nature as you, and we are proclaiming good news to you that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own way, although he did not leave himself without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying your hearts with food and happiness. In response to this false worship, Paul needs to correct the crowds. And his message is really clear, isn't it? Turn from false worship and turn to true worship of the living God. Turn from false worship and turn to true worship of the living God. The living God who made everything, the one who created mankind in his image, the one who gives good things like rain and food and happiness. But the crowds, well, they were blind to this, weren't they? They had seen all the good things that God had given them And they turned to Zeus and Hermes and other false gods to thank and worship them instead. This false worship or idolatry, well, it ignores the true and living God. And it's a grave error that we all can fall into. I think sometimes we can be a little bit blind to the way in which idolatry occurs in our lives. Uh, Ange and I went to Bali for our honeymoon a few uh, weeks, months ago. And as we walked through the streets of the villages, outside all the houses, there's a little stone shrine or a stone statue. And regularly throughout the day, people who lived there, well, they would bring food and incense and uh, offer and worship these little things. These little idols, well, they were everywhere. And I think as I was reflecting on it, I think even now, we still think that's what idolatry is. That's what it looks like. But I think we can be tricked by that, by thinking that idolatry is not a problem for us. I don't have a little shrine outside my house. I don't pray to other gods. But of course there is idolatry here. And I think it's maybe more dangerous because we can't see it. But idolatry happens any time someone replaces the true and living God with anything that he has graciously given All these things that are worthless in comparison to him. Just like the people of Lystra who missed the point, well, we also can mistake the good things God gives us for gods themselves. I think for us in Sydney, we are much more prone to idolatry of money and career or family or big expensive holidays. We are prone to choosing to worship these things in place of God. We might not be sacrificing oxen to these things, but we sacrifice our time and our energy in pursuit of these things instead of God. Now, of course, all these things are good things, but they are good things that God himself gives to us. And so we should turn and worship him and not the things that he gives. We need to turn from worthless idolatry to serve the true and living God who made the heaven and the earth 
and the sea and everything in them and chooses to give us good things. But this is not what the world around us is doing. For those away from God, they worship their money. They worship their careers and their family. And so we must be different. But it comes at a cost. In our passage, Paul was stoned outside the city to the point of death because he was not about to let idolatry get in the way of the gospel. And so we also, as we read this, must be reminded and encouraged to worship God alone. Turn away from anything else that gets in the way. Any of the things that we might be tempted to replace God with. All those idols in our lives we must turn from and be encouraged to worship God alone through this. And so, back in Acts, by God's grace, Paul is not dead. And so the next day, he continues on back towards Antioch. And so we're at point three, uh, the return to Antioch. And this section is just full of encouragements, isn't it? I won't read it all out, but you can see the summary of Paul and Barnabas' work as they now go back through all the places that they have just brought the gospel to. And as they go back through all the places, uh, in verse 22 it says they were strengthening disciples by encouraging, encouraging them to continue in the faith by telling them it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. It is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. Well, I'd say Paul and Barnabas were experts at that, weren't they? We've seen opposition and persecution and assault all through this missionary journey. But see, this is not a warning to the new disciples. Paul and Barnabas are saying this as an encouragement to them. They're saying it like they're a supporter on the side of a road at the 30-kilometer mark into a marathon, cheering you on, strengthening you to persevere in the task. Paul and Barnabas, as they track back through all the towns, they're there cheering on the new disciples, encouraging them to persevere. And so they set up churches and appoint elders to help encourage one another in the task of living for the gospel. And then Paul and Barnabas they finally get to return home, back to Antioch, back to home base. And do you see what happens when they get there? In verse 27, they gather the church together and report on what God has done through the preaching of his word. Doesn't that just sound exactly like when our missionaries come back on home assignment? We gather with them to continue to spur them on in the gospel. And also, they share with us what's been great about their work, how God's been at work where they've been, and they share the hardships as well. But with both of those things, the good and the bad, they spur us on in the gospel because they remind us of the work God is doing in the world. And they encourage us in our struggles to continue to live out the gospel. And see, we, we do this in a mini sort of way every time we gather with one another. See, out in the world, we are challenged and pushed to be shy about the gospel and to worship worthless idols. But here, when we gather, we're able to share the hardships of life, to spur on one another to continue in the gospel and to turn away from idols. 
As we gather together as God's people, this is what we're doing. So the book of Acts, well, I hope it's been an encouragement to us. We can be encouraged by God's work through his people, and particularly in Acts 14 through Paul and Barnabas, where we've been encouraged to continue in the gospel that gives life, to continue to worship God alone who made all things, and to continue to spur one another on in these things as we gather. Let me pray for us as we do this. Father God, we thank you for your grace to us. Your grace that in the Lord Jesus we can have life and life to the full. So Father, we pray that we will be people who continue in this gospel. People who continue to only serve you and turn away from false idols. And Father, help us to love one another and encourage one another to do these things as we gather here at church and in gospel teams and all throughout our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.